This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby Snymer. The mother of Canada's last soldier fatality in Afghanistan has been chosen to lay a wreath on Remembrance Day. We turn the clocks back, but sleep experts warn about the dangers of daylight saving time as the debate over the tradition continues. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Pfizer has started testing a new vaccine combining the COVID booster and flu shot. If successful, it'll be passed on to American federal health agencies for approval. Moderna is also testing its own version of a dual protection vaccine. No word how long the trial period for both companies might last. A survey by the Ontario Pension Plan suggests employers are worried about employee burnout and the effects it could bring to their profits. As a result, some employers and industries are introducing better retirement benefits while addressing employee mental health issues through new programming. The survey finds more than four in five employers are worried about the competitive labour market, while almost two-thirds are worried about employee productivity. Ontario has just recorded historically low voter turnout in the municipal elections. Stateside, what will voter turnout look like in next week's U.S. midterms? Generally, older voters and the silent generation, those born between 1928 and 1945, consistently vote in general and midterm elections. But will the trend continue? According to a recent study by CARP's American counterpart, the American Association of Retired Persons, those 50-plus are poised to tip the scales in the upcoming midterms. Back in 2018 midterm elections, 66% of voters 60 and older cast ballots. And new data shows that women are out-registering men for the 2022 midterms. The psychedelic chemical in magic mushrooms may ease depression in some hard-to-treat patients. The effects in a study released this week were modest, but they happened with a single dose in people who previously had gotten little relief from standard antidepressants. The study is part of a resurgence of research into potential medical uses of hallucinogenic drugs, and the results are similar to smaller studies of the mushroom compound psilocybin. We are standing here today to announce that after nearly a half century of investigative efforts, we have identified the oldest unidentified homicide victim in Massachusetts. A victim known for years as the Lady of the Dunes was officially identified this week, almost 50 years after she was found dead. Ruth Marie Terry was 37 when she died after a blow to the head. Police said investigative genealogy helped them identify the body. It is a unique method that can generate new leads for unsolved homicides, as well as help identify unknown victims. The Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show is moving to a new venue next year, the home of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament. 
The canine champs will take over the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center for three days starting May 6th. Westminster awarded its coveted best-in-show prize at New York City's Madison Square Garden for decades before the pandemic prompted the show to move outdoors. I'm Christine Ross, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. An Alberta mother of the last Canadian soldier killed in Afghanistan has been chosen as this year's Silver Cross Mother. Candy Greff will lay a wreath at the National War Memorial in Ottawa on Remembrance Day, placing it on behalf of all mothers who've lost children to the service of Canada. Her son, Master Corporal Byron Greff, was killed in a suicide bombing in October of 2011, becoming the 158th Canadian soldier to die in the country and the last before Canada's mission there ended in 2014. We reached this year's Silver Cross mother, Candy Greff, at her home in Alberta. How did you receive the news that you were this year's Silver Cross mother? I received an email from uh, head of the Legion, uh, Mr. Danny Martin, uh, emailed and asked if I would be interested. I was nominated five years ago, and um, nothing happened that year. And and I thought, no, there's many, many, many um, very deserving people who were Silver Cross mothers other years. And this year, it sort of took me by surprise, his email. And I emailed back and said, I will do my very best if you decide you're going to choose me as National Silver Cross Mother. What was your initial reaction and, and what does this honour mean to you? My initial reaction was a bit surprised because I was thinking maybe in, in some of the other previous years that maybe I would be chosen to do it being how I was nominated five years ago. It means the world to me. I'm very, very honoured to be National Silver Cross Mother and represent all the other Silver Cross Mothers being whatever war, whatever conflict there has been. And I just, it, from the bottom of my heart, I am so, so honoured to do this, Christine. Have you given much thought to the actual ceremony on Remembrance Day? I have. Because I have laid wreaths as Silver Cross Mother here in Alberta, in Edmonton and Red Deer and here in Lacombe, uh, it's, you feel not distinguished, sort of distinguished, but more honour than anything else, and pride in Byron to do so. Let's talk about that. Tell me about your son, Master Corporal Byron Greff. What was he like and how would you like him to be remembered? He was a wonderful son to Greg and I, and husband to Lindsay, his wife, father to his two children, Keller and Brielle. He was, as a child, he was somewhat mischievous and sort of pushed the limits a little to see what he could get away with. And I think all children do. Our other two children, because Byron was our oldest, they did the same thing. It means so very much that that he will be remembered by us and by across the country um, as our son, who we miss dearly, all of us do, Greg, myself, Lindsay, the kids, the extended family, Byron's sister and brother and their family. Yeah, it, you, everyone misses him tremendously. Your son was the last Canadian soldier to die in Afghanistan before the military mission there officially ended in 2014, but you have said that that distinction doesn't really carry any special meaning or importance. How so? 
It is an important number, number 158, but the reason it doesn't hold as much significance to me is that I feel the first all the way up to the 157th person that was lost in Afghanistan. They're all so, so very important. So that's why I'm, I'm so happy there wasn't a 159 or 160 or more as other countries have suffered far more um, losses than Canada. But that is, I feel important. I feel all of them are very, very important. That's maybe why the 158 doesn't stand out as much as maybe it would for others. Well, sadly now, you're part of a group of families who've lost loved ones in war. Have you connected with any of these parents? And if so, um, is there a strong bond? There is a bond. Um, there is um, a lady in Edmonton who has who had lost her son, Joel Weeb. Sherry and I know each other, but we aren't very close friends. But I still feel that we are all connected, unfortunately, because of the heartbreaking losses that we've all experienced. And I would like all of them to know that we understand and we support them and that the physical part of this person, the physical person is gone. But the love is is always going to be here forever and ever. Grief in itself is is a difficult journey, but it's unimaginable to lose a child. I have read somewhere how you have described your grief journey. Could you tell me about that? I believe the initial shock was unbearable. And how am I going to get up tomorrow? How am I going to manage? Then when I went to grief counseling, which the military um, sent us, any of us that wanted to go in the family, which was so, so kind of them to, to offer that service. When I was at grief counseling, I felt like I was trudging through the mud. Is, is exactly what I thought. And some people have described as waves in the ocean, tidal waves and ripples. There can be any particular day, any particular moment. You might think of your lost child and it overwhelms you. You need to stop by the side of the road and take a minute or two. And then you can carry on again. And I think strength from that comes from them looking down at us. And us knowing that they're in heaven and and wanting to do right by them. Candy, I thank you so much for this and wishing you all the best on the 11th. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was this year's Silver Cross mother, Candy Griff. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, clocks turned back, but the future of daylight saving time is far from settled. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, giving you the opportunity to get involved and make your community a better place for seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. How was your sleep last night? We changed the clocks back an hour overnight, ending daylight saving time in Ontario. According to experts, some people will experience a shock to their body's internal clock, much like jet lag after flying across time zones. It's a tradition that first began in Ontario back in 1918, and it remains controversial. 
We reached Dr. Patricia Lakin-Thomas, professor of biology at York University, whose research includes our circadian rhythms and internal clocks. So ostensibly, we gained an hour of sleep this weekend, which seems, at the outset, a good thing. But experts are warning that it's a shock to our body's internal clock. How so? Well, in the fall, it actually is not too much of a problem for us. Um, we are going to, we have gained uh, an hour of sleep. <clears throat> and for most people, that's a good thing because most of us are sleep deprived most of the time. Um, we do, however, have the equivalent of a one hour jet lag that we have to deal with because we've been working on a schedule that was an hour different. And now we have to adjust everything to a new schedule. Um, it's best if we do that by getting all of our meal times adjusted by an hour, our sleeping times and waking up times, just get on the new schedule immediately. And we shouldn't have too much trouble in the fall. It's in the spring when we really have a lot of trouble with the one-hour time change because we're losing an hour of sleep and we are also going away from the time that's the most natural time for us to be waking up. And our bodies naturally want to get up with the sunshine in the morning at dawn. And in daylight saving time, we're moving away from that. But now we've shifted back to standard time, which is really closer to our natural body time. So this adjustment period, how long typically would it take for people? I I assume it varies from person to person. Yes, of course, it'll be varied um, individually. It's like flying across a one-hour time zone. So it's not a huge change, and most people will adjust in just a few days. We do see uh, in the spring, we have some idea of how long it takes to adjust because we can see increases in acute incidents, things like car accidents and heart attacks and strokes that happen right after the time change in the spring, but those effects go away within a few days and they're probably gone within a week or so. So that gives you an idea of how long it takes people to adjust, probably just a few days. People have been suggesting we should stay on daylight saving time all year round, but then it would be very dark, very late in the morning. The sun wouldn't rise till nine or so. When we're, when we're on standard time, the sun is rising earlier in the morning. So we can uh, have some light when we're going to work. Right. So let's stick with that. There are many who who criticize the biannual time change. Ontario said that they'll do away with it if New York State and if Quebec also make the changes. But that's that's in limbo for some time. Just last week, Mexico's Senate has approved a bill to eliminate daylight saving time, putting an end to the practice of changing the clocks twice a year. What's your take on it? Um, the, the twice yearly time change is pretty disruptive, especially in the spring. And it's inconvenient, but it's also disruptive to our internal clocks to be changing twice a year and having to readjust uh, to a, a jet lag situation twice a year. It would be healthier for us if we could eliminate the time change. Um, but the question is, which way do we go? Do we go to year-round daylight saving time or year-round standard time? So we've just switched from daylight saving to standard time. And the evidence... Uh, from the science of biological clocks tells us that it's better for us to be on standard time because that's when our brain clock that drives the clocks in the rest of the body can better align to the sun and our brain clock needs to see the sunrise to reset our clocks every day. If we get light in the evening too much, it will delay our clocks, we'll stay up late, we'll lose sleep. 
if we see that sunshine in the morning, it's going to reset our clocks so that we can uh, go to sleep at a more reasonable hour. So the standard time we know is better for our health, and it would be healthier for us to stay on standard time year-round and eliminate the time changes. You touched on it earlier about some of the ways we can mitigate the impacts of a time change in the fall, about moving your dinner time and so forth. What, what other things can we do? Um, basically, getting on that schedule immediately. Um, don't try to ease into it. Just <laughs> change your schedule immediately. Change your, your, meal, your meal times are really very important because we know that food timing can change your body clocks, like your liver um, and your gastrointestinal system are reset by your meal times. So get those meal times on a regular schedule. Um, get your bedtime and your wake-up time on a regular schedule. Get your exercise in, too. Exercising, particularly earlier in the day, is going to help you. Um, and just keeping a regular schedule really is the best. So what do you plan to do this weekend? In terms of your um, sleeping and your getting enjoy on Enjoy my extra hour. <laughs> I will enjoy my extra hour in bed. <laughs> and I will get up then and start my day on the new schedule. And I don't really expect to have very many negative impacts. Dr. Patricia Lakin-Thomas, thank you so much. I'm happy to be there. That was Dr. Patricia Lakin-Thomas, a professor in the Department of Biology at York University. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.